Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 456. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Jonathan Green. Jonathan was a prosecutor and criminal defense attorney, but now, well, I don't know that you weren't at that point as well, Jonathan, but you're now a father, writer, podcast host, guest expert, and unwitting polymath. I don't even know what a polymath is. I just had to put it out there. So I'm so intrigued. I want to know more, but I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Kim. I'm excited to be here. So I wanted you to give a better introduction as to who you are to the listeners, but can you just quench my nosiness for lack of a better (laughs) way of putting it? What is a polymath? Oh, it is a person of wide-ranging knowledge or learning. So I didn't really even know the term probably before a year ago, but people kept bringing it up because of kind of where I've gone with my life. I just end up liking a lot of things and I leave a lot of things to try something new. So I ended up with that. I've done some research on it. It seems like it fits, so I'm using it for now, but just like with anything, my life is just uh, always in progress and always looking to grow and be better every day, and I think that's part of being a polymath, too. See, I didn't even know that expression was out there, obviously. I call it (laughs) chronic idea disorder. Yeah, I I have that, too. (laughs) Yeah, because I have no idea. I mean, my husband, he didn't officially stop me from buying more yarn, but he would see me start a new project. Yeah. And every single one of my hobbies has been like that. Okay, I'll buy this and then I'll start and then I won't finish. And even in my business, I'll start this. I don't finish it. I move on to something else. I finally just in the last two years quenched that in the business. Yeah. I started what I called a fugly blanket. You can put two (laughs) words together and figure that out, but it was actually taking all my yarns and trying to make it. I haven't touched it in a year, but yeah, I've stopped bouncing around, but sometimes it's just so hard. But share with us, Jonathan, how you got to where you are now. Well, it's been a long ride. I mean, my first job out of law school was working as a prosecutor in Broward County, Florida. So, I mean, obviously, I went to law school and went right into being a lawyer. And I did that for about 10 years. But it was just something where I had children. My first child was born in 2001, right after 9-11. And as he started to get older, and then as my daughter came in July of 2003, I just didn't want to participate in the criminal justice system anymore for a variety of reasons. But, you know, just because that I'm dealing with that every day and bringing home as a career was, you know, I didn't come in feeling great. I did when I saw my kids, but it's just a tough thing to keep on you all the time. So, During that time, my dad had passed away, and that was kind of the impetus for me to get out of law and move on to something else. And there's been a lot of journeys until I got to this point, which is now I'm basically uh, writing full time and doing anything creative that I want to do that will enhance my life. Why did you go into law? I'm always curious as to why people took their first career path. (laughs) 
Well, I went to business college first and it didn't really stick. And then I went to, I switched colleges and started to investigate all of the classes that I hadn't taken, psychology, philosophy, and a lot of social justice types classes. And I had an advisor there who was phenomenal. And I just, I started to get into criminal justice. So my major was criminal justice and my dad was a lawyer he was a wills and estates lawyer growing up, but he wasn't a trial lawyer. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was quite sure I wasn't going to sit behind a desk all day as a lawyer. So I went to law school because that's just kind of <laughs> what was next that like a lot of even us as parents now, I think are changing. But like back then, it was kind of like you just followed along the path. You go to college and then if you don't have a job to go to, you go to a graduate school. But I was really kind of overly interested in criminal justice and sociology. So I went that path and went through law school and, and then went right to work as a prosecutor. I have a son who was born a year after yours. My son was born in 2002. Mm -hmm. And I can totally see that. My style of parenting is very different from my parents. I mean, yeah, my mother, I remember her telling me, you should be a doctor or a lawyer. There's a lot of money to be made there. Well, I, <laughs> I barely passed biology. I passed it because I knew I had to or else I would be grounded. Right. And I had no interest in law. Those big textbooks just, mm, no. So I was the black sheep. I'm the one who went to art school while <laughs> actually my oldest brother went to law school. And then I have three other siblings, one of which went to Ivy League. So when I say I'm the black sheep, I mean I'm the black sheep. I mean, <laughs> art school versus Cornell. How different could you possibly be, right? Like, yeah, well, I think I've, I've over my life, I've figured out both ends of that. I mean, I went to law school and I did terrible. I mean, I, I was not a good student. I never was. I was too interested in other things. I was super bored in school growing up. I was bored in college. I wasn't really bored in my second college because I finally found classes that I enjoyed. But I understand when my kids tell me now they're both in high school that they're bored in school because it's boring. I mean, if, if you have things that you like, they're often not the things that are being taught to you in school. So my idea of where my kids go with education is much different than how my dad's view, which was just, you know, you're going to go to college. And I was like, okay, seems fun. But I don't have the same type of parameters for my children that my dad did. And my parents were very open. I pretty much could have chose anything. They probably would have been okay. Or, or my dad would have nagged me until I did something else. But I just think you know, there's a lot more options out there in the world. And the standardized construction of education now is not giving out what it used to be. Uh, you know, it's just not a college degree doesn't mean as much as it used to. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Actually, my stepmom, I remember her specifically telling me that I could be a garbage woman if I wanted to be if that's what made me happy, by all means, go do it. But we want you to have some higher level education, even if it means tech school for garbage people. I don't even know if that if that's a thing, but you know, the, some type of higher level education. And now definitely want to talk, go back to you. But now like my oldest will be a sophomore in high school. So I'll say, well, what do you want to be? And his first response to me was, I want to be an accountant. Wow. <laughs> and I had to say, why? And he says, well, because they make money. And I said, but do you really see yourself in 30 years sitting behind a desk looking at spreadsheets? And I sort of got a blinks there like no it's like so I want you to do something that makes you happy 
Yeah, and the, the thing is, though, that changes. I mean, that's what I've learned. I've changed careers so many times. So f- for me, like when I'm talking to my kids about, yeah, I want to know what they want to do, but I'm very open with like, that doesn't mean that's what you're going to do for your whole life. Oh, like, absolutely. It's going to change and change. And I think that's part of me being a polymath and just enjoying trying other things. I do careers. I do really well at them. And then I get bored. <laughs> I mean, yep. People will say like, oh, I can't believe you're leaving. You know, you're at your top of your game for whatever that is for the area that I'm in. And then but that's kind of like, OK, it's not fun for me anymore. Not right. because I've done well. It's just like I want to try something else or I want to do something that, you know, now in my life at 47, that just makes me happy and keeps me freer than being beholden to my phone and computer all the time. Absolutely. Do you think you could have gotten from where you were to where you are now without all the interim steps in between? No, I mean, I wouldn't change my journey at all. I mean, I Mm -hmm. I think that life changes. Obviously, as you know, when you become a parent, your priorities become completely different. You just never will look at the world the same way. And for me, I always wanted to be a dad. So when my first child came, it was like, I mean, I always say this to people, they think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not like nothing else matters to me. Nothing is even close. And so for me, like when I'm leaving a job or if something doesn't work out, it does just doesn't matter because I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, two children that are now, like I said, teenagers and they're healthy. So I don't know what more I can ask for. I work to, you know, make sure that everything for their future life goes well. But if all I had was them, I I would be fine. Oh, absolutely. When I was in high school, I saw myself being a top designer in an architecture firm in New York City. And after college, mm-hmm. I moved to outside in New York City. The realtors mm-hmm. laughed me right out. They're like, you can't afford an apartment in the city. Go, <laughs> yeah. go somewhere else. <laughs> so, Not cheap. Yeah. But our first was a complete surprise. Oh, okay. And I realized very quickly that raising a child outside of New York City was not my dream as a mm-hmm. mom. I mean, yeah. Going to the park and looking for syringes? No thanks. <laughs> yeah. So while that had been my dream, I mean, I remember watching Ghost, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore. Some of, of the younger listeners may not even know what we're talking about here. But, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, seeing that loft and thinking that would be so amazing. But then I found myself that just completely went out the window because I realized I can't have a little kid rolling around on a tricycle around all this beautiful pottery. So we moved to the middle of cornfields in Ohio and I wouldn't have it any other way. I have many times dreamed of just living very, very off the grid and away from everything. I mean, I live in New Jersey now. I'm only 30 minutes outside of New York city, but I'm not staying when my kids are uh, graduate high school. I'm going to California. Everybody knows it, and I can't wait to <laughs> to go. <laughs> so uh, I need more space and I need a different lifestyle. But you know, it's been fine up for now. I grew up in Brooklyn, so I was used to city type living. But I just need more space, more quiet, and more solitude. Okay, so growing up in Brooklyn, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the realtors like laughing me out of the city, like entry level oh, yeah. coming in at 22. Yeah. I moved back there eight years ago and, you know, I I understood that because I was paying for it for two years before we ended up out here in New Jersey. My 15-year-old actually just yesterday, he was watching a YouTube video where they were going through apartments actually in Manhattan and they were $25,000 a month or $40,000 a month. Yep. (laughs) And we just bought our house here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm not shy to say our five-bedroom house cost us 125000 I know even in Jersey, that would be really difficult to find. Yeah, I live in one of the hottest markets in New Jersey, as I you know, found out when I was a real estate agent. That was good times for me doing that. But yeah, the values all over are crazy. That Those prices sound fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So he's watching this. And I was like, you do realize, don't you, that three months in one of those like in the $40,000 one yeah, would pay for would the pay whole house. for our whole house in a whole year. You could buy four. I was like, now if that's what you want to do someday, amazing. But I just want you to think about it. Yeah. I, yeah. It just depends how much you have to spend and exactly. what you, what you, how you value what you spend it on. Yeah. So what are your biggest values right now? What really lights your fire in a given day and what do you love to do? Authenticity is really what drives my life besides my kids. You know, to by going out of standardized employment, I knew that I was just going to live the rest of my life authentically and doing what I want and saying what I mean straightforward. I've always been completely honest and I don't really beat around the bush or pull punches. I just think that's just a giant waste of time. So, you know, now writing is just about me getting out things that have lived inside of me my whole life. And what I found is that the more that I release out, whether it's on the web or, you know, just to nowhere that I write down and it never goes anywhere, it just clears out room inside my head for all new things to come in. And I think that's what a lot of people do. You bog yourself down over the years with all the similar thoughts and things that you think about. And if you don't ever get them out in any way and release them, they're just not going to be enough room in your head for more ideas or new things. So to live the rest of my life in an authentic way, it's, you know, doing things the way that I want and just basically being a good person and not really trying to disrupt anything. (laughs) That's why I stay out of the work cultures. I don't do well in traditional workscapes. Mm, Me neither. I just have too much to say inside that doesn't end up making it worthwhile for (laughs) to stay. You know, the only part of the traditional workscape that I miss is the potluck lunches. (laughs) that's a good perk yeah birthday parties and those things are good exactly i miss the camaraderie when i was a prosecutor i still have so many great friends from my time working for the government at my first job in fort lauderdale i mean we had so much fun we worked like 70, 80 hour weeks, but we were all close. We're all doing the same things. And that's really the only thing that I miss from, you know, traditional workplaces. You know, when I was in real estate, there's no traditional workplace. I was at home all the time and it was more aggravating because it's so adversarial. And people think that obviously being a lawyer is adversarial, but as you get comfortable in what you're doing, all of the adversarial nature of that takes place for the most part inside the courtroom and you walk out and talk about, you know, your kids or your significant other or what you're going to do. And that's how it was, you know, at least starting in that profession. I can see that. Yeah. And one thing that I've seen throughout my multiple careers, I mean, in the middle of, so I designed high-end offices in Manhattan, moved to Ohio, designed schools, the economy tanked. And, and lost that because taxpayers don't want to pay for schools when they can't pay their mortgage, right? So, yeah, the schools as a whole, I could do three hours on schools just by themselves. <laughs> yep. And then I got a job at Chipotle. You do what you got to do so you can do what yeah. you want to do. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that some of the, I've had friends who had good jobs. They lost the job, but they were too proud to go back to something that they felt was beneath them. But that doesn't work when you have a family. You just take whatever. I mean, if I needed something, I went back to jobs. I worked jobs that I didn't particularly enjoy because that's what I needed to do at the time. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't look at anybody who's doing any job as settling. It's That's what you do to get it done. And I think too many people, you know, have this idea that, you know, each job that they work has to be like their, the job of a lifetime. And it doesn't, you know, sometimes can just punch the clock and come home. And if that's what gets it done for the time being, even if it's not your dream job, at least that's what's there right then. It's better than being unemployed and always looking. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, working there, there was definitely the huge perk of a free meal every shift. Yeah, excellent. I've heard of people who work at other fast food chains and will never go back after they work there. That's not the case with Chipotle. No, this episode is not sponsored by Chipotle. I just want to put (laughs) it out there. It's one of our family favorites. Oh, yeah. We go there all the time. Yeah, but it was definitely a perk. Now, let me tell you, there were other not perks. I don't want to get sued by Chipotle, but working cash register and having to do the cleaning work at the end of the day that's associated with at least in the one I worked with. Yeah. I had to, okay, I had to clean the bathrooms. Yeah. I don't even like cleaning the bathrooms at my house. Okay. No, no, with five kids? No, that Ugh. sounds terrible. I don't like doing it with two kids. Jonathan, right now I am working as hard as I am to put an addition onto my house so I can have two bathrooms in my house. I need my own bathroom. Okay, I just... Yeah, that, that would help. My son lives in the basement and he has his own half bath. So my daughter and I just share one upstairs, which works out okay. Yeah, so I've got the two teenagers, and then I have three-year-old twins and a four-year-old. That'll keep you busy. Mm, doesn't <laughs> keep me busy. That's the benefit of having teenagers who want stuff. Chores. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but out of each one of these experiences, I've definitely learned new things that I can now see are impacting how I'm even growing my team today, how I relate with my team, how I'm doing my systems, how I do and do not interact with people. I mean, even just out of Chipotle alone, you wouldn't believe like the documentation that they had for every single, even how you make the salsa. Yeah. More and more entrepreneurs need to have the recipe cards, for lack of a better expression, of how to do those repeated tasks in their business, but they don't. Yeah, that makes no sense. I mean, I think I learned it when I built a real estate team from zero to about 15 people and then took it all the way down back to zero. (laughs) But in the time, I used systems to create onboarding so that I wouldn't have to babysit everybody the whole way, which is the hardest thing when you, as an employee, get a new job. They just hand you a manual and that's not really helpful. So I had really checklists that everybody needed to follow through using Trello with links to everything hoping that it would take the load off of me in terms of making sure they knew how to do everything. But it worked, but not as well as I would have hoped. (laughs) Oh, I was hoping you would say it worked because actually what I'm building right now, and we use teamwork, we're shifting over from Trello, but the master spreadsheet, which links to all the individual documents, because I am so often the bottleneck. Yeah, it's just that I think that traditional work culture, people will ask questions before looking on their own. And that is part of the bottleneck, too. I can say over and over, I would just send the links like this is where it is. But they just wanted to know the answer. That's part of hiring, you know, in the hiring processes. Listen, this is how we do things. This is where you're going to refer to everything. If you can't get the answers here, then come to me. But 
you know, it's just another reason why I didn't want to write another employee handbook <laughs> and I don't want to manage other people because it's just ends up being disappointing to me. I work my own way and I used to expect that people would work that way or at least as hard. And when they didn't, it became really frustrating mm. and I'd rather not have those dialogues at all for my sake and for their sake, because I don't think it helps anybody. Oh my gosh, I hear that so much. I've had two partnerships in my entire entrepreneurial journey, which I did have an e-commerce shop over a decade ago as well. And it would frustrate me to no end when the partners, and I'm not talking about like the employees or contractors, when the partners weren't working as hard as me. Yeah, I mean, it's we'd like to have as little contact with people as possible, not meaning like I want to be alone all the time, although I do like it. It's just that the way that things work or should frustrate a lot of people. I mean, you know, just going out and doing regular things, there seems to always be a hang up. I mean, the fact that I can now auto pay most of my bills is fantastic, but I still get annoyed for the three bills that get in the mail. I just, I mean, I get annoyed when I look in my mailbox because there's like a hundred circulars in there that I didn't ask for, just like I didn't ask for the 500 phone calls I get a day from people trying to sell me things that I don't even know how I got on the list. And I'm on the do not call list and I still get, you know, hundreds of calls. So it's all part of the, <laughs> the same cycle of wanting people to, you know, treat you how you treat other people. But we definitely don't have that luxury. We just have to deal with it and, you know, create our own productive strategies to get around it, which is what I've done. You just brought up an interesting point. Why can we unsubscribe to emails? We can put ourselves on the do not call list, whether or not it's actually observed. Who knows? Because I'm on the do not call list myself and I go through that same pain. But is there a do not mail, like physical mail list? Because I get the nope. same thing. Oh, I hate it. I mean, I've written about it. It's just like 99% of the things I get in my mailbox, I don't want. And the other 1% I could do without. Nobody's sending me letters anymore. It's just bills and they should just all go directly online. So it's just a, another cog in the wheel. I postal office, I, obviously I need it when I'm, I want to ship something to somebody, but you know, I don't right. really need a circular from my local supermarket every week that fills up my entire mailbox so much that all the other mail gets crumpled. I hear you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking about all the advertisements for window blinds, flooring. Yeah, same thing. I mean, it's and just, I didn't ask shops. for them. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and how many trees have we managed to destroy exactly. in the process? Yeah. Oh. Listeners, I would love to hear your opinion on this and everything else that we've already discussed. And you can go over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP456 to give us your feedback. Where would you like to see yourself go in the next, well, I'm going to say 90 days, or <laughs> do you not even plan? Do you just go where the wind blows? Yeah, right now, I will do that the rest of my life. I mean, I'm very regimented and productive and efficient. I have a Trello board for everything in my life. So that keeps me on track. But I learned that my metrics are always inside of my head. So I usually will keep track of things daily. Like I keep track of how many words I write every day, how many stories I publish. But I'm not setting myself a limit because I'm doing much more than I would at the limit anyway. So... I don't know where I'll be in 90 days. I don't know where I'll be in five years or 10 years. And I think when I was younger, if someone told that to me, I'd said, oh, they don't have any goals. But 
my goals are to live an authentic life that makes me happy. And that could change at any point. I've learned from losing both my parents that you just don't know what's around the corner. So my goal is to spend as much time with my kids as possible before they go to college and do what makes me happy, which right now is writing. And, you know, the other careers I've done were fine, but they didn't do the same thing for me that writing has. And now almost 16 years with my kids, I've always been available. Every job I've worked, I've made it so I could get there for my kids after I left government work. So yeah, I, I think a lot of people think that goalless is something that exists for people who are like, I don't know where I'd be, but I'm 47. I've done the traditional workscape enough in my life that I'm done with that. And now I just want to enjoy the rest of my life. But in doing that, I set up, you know, hundreds of systems in my life to make sure that I'm productive. They just don't have really a metric system like I had in real estate where we're always trying to hit certain metrics, this many calls, this many appointments. I don't have that for my life because if I keep track of something day to day, I'm always doing that without giving myself a number. Like I don't have to tell myself you need to write 1500 words a day because Some days I'm not going to want to, and I'll write 750, but then there's other days I'll write 5,000. So it will all, you know, work itself out in the math. Absolutely. In the summer of 2016, I found myself like in the darkest place ever because I was chasing income. I had been chasing income for about four years. Yeah. And I realized just in one big, like two by four to the side of my head that this was not working and I needed to do something else. And I ended up reading um, Danielle Laporte, The Desire Map. And it it just changed everything about the way that I run my business for me, like the way that I create Mm -hmm. products, not necessarily how I work with my clients, because my clients have their own timelines, and I need to respect that. But as for me, if it doesn't get done today, that's okay for my stuff. Because when it gets done, it was meant to get done then. And I'm not going to stress myself out with that. Stress is a big part of it. I've always been extremely calm. I don't enjoy stress. I don't like other people trying to import stress onto me because I don't feel it. It's just if there's a deadline, I would finish it before when I needed to. You know, if I had something, you know, that was due on Friday, I'd be done on Wednesday just so I didn't have to worry about it. Now I'm happy to, you know, same as you, if something doesn't get done today, it's really fine. I really, it's not that big a deal. I have a giant to-do list that's working at all time, but they don't have specific dates because I don't know which way the day is going to go. I don't know how I'm going to feel. Some days I wake up and I just write for five hours straight. And some days I don't want to do that. I do something else. I start exercising first, but I do the things that are good for me, good for my kids first, then good for me. And the rest of the stuff will figure itself out and fit its way in on my schedule. I do keep a really detailed calendar on Google. So I put everything I need to do on there and then I just move it around. So it's one of the pluses of technology. If I didn't finish it today, I just slide it over to the next day. So it, and even if I do that for a week, I won't delete it. It'll just still be there looking at me and eventually I'll get it done when I need to. Oh my gosh, I do that too. But I use a program called Focuster. Mm-hmm. I, like I put my whole task list in there and I tell it how long something ideally should take me. Sometimes I really have no clue. But then if it doesn't get done and it schedules it right into my Google calendar as well. It at least keeps it in front of me, but I realize that sometimes that one million list doesn't work for me. Like I need to have the three to five that I want to get done 
today. Yeah, for the day. I mean, it's daunting to look at a list of 50 things every day. Mm-hmm. That it's just you'll never get anything done. It's like when you're overwhelmed, you do nothing because you just yep. don't know which project to pick up on. So, yeah, I usually I'm just picking things per the day, which I think are more important. But when I was in those businesses, I did it differently. You know, when I was in sales, I had to hit certain metrics. So I my calendar was full with the things that I needed to do then. It just said, I I just can't work like that anymore. And I too was chasing the idea of income and winning in a business and closing sales. And, you know, all that made happen was my phone ring from six in the morning until 11 at night. And one day I just said, nope, not going to do it anymore. Dropped the whole thing, you know, and just walked away (laughs) The, the next day, pretty much. Wow. I do have a question. You were talking about getting your ideas out. When you're getting ideas, do you notice that they come at the same, like, is there a common time or place that they come? <laughs> no. no. I mean, they come at the worst times. That's usually oh, what it too. is. It's usually if I'm in the shower or uh-huh. when I'm driving. So Siri helps a lot because I just always click the button and then say, remind me and to write about blah, 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 you know, in 30 minutes. And then I use the notes app on the iPhone. And then at the end of the day, I go through the notes and transport them into my Trello board where all the ideas sit for writing and everything else. So I pretty much take everything with audio notes during the day and then just, you know, bring them into Trello later. And, you know, Trello is pretty much open the entire day when I'm working. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I find it in the shower, too. I had to get bath crayons. Yeah. A lot of writers and a lot of my creative friends, it's just that thing, because when you're at your most relaxed, a lot of times right before bed also, as I'm falling asleep, I don't really want to get up to write something. But every time that we tell ourselves, oh, I'll remember that, we won't remember Mm -hmm. it. And it'll be really something really good. So I try to do whatever I can to have something available to write it down. I was even doing that with my dreams for a while. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just scribble. But I I was just writing gibberish when I looked at it the next day. I could barely figure out what I was saying. I woke up way too early for my comfort this morning because I was dreaming about a word and I can't even remember what the word is right now. <laughs> but in my dream, I was troubled because I didn't know the definition of the word. Yeah, that's something that I would dream about as well. I have a lot of idiosyncrasies and it's like that thing where someone tells you, oh, you know who that was in the movie and you can't think of it and mm-hmm. they want to continue doing something and you're like, no, I, I have to figure this out. I don't even want to look on Google because that's too easy. It's like I have to figure it out myself. Just like I would have to remember that word. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is a word like I, I can't now it's going to bug me because I can't remember what the word was. It'll come to you when you're in the shower or about uh-huh. to fall asleep and then you'll forget again. I mean, that's just the funny thing that the mind does to us. Exactly. But I, as a teenager, I watched uh, Say Anything, John Cusack. Oh, yeah. And the girl. Ioni Sky. Yes, thank you. She had a dictionary where she yeah. circled every word that she looked up. Yeah. I borrowed that. So I still have the dictionary that I got when I graduated high school for being on the honor roll, they gave us like a physical dictionary. So in my dream, I was actually going through the dictionary trying to find the word and I did find it, but then it was fuzzy afterwards. (laughs) It's like, really just give me the damn definition of the word so I can go back to sleep. And because it's a partial sleep, but that's where I often find myself is I'm just going to bed, just falling asleep at the end of the night. And then all of a sudden, bang, something hits me. I really make an effort not to be on any electronics an hour before bedtime. So I was all ready for bed last night, walking to bed, 
told my husband I was going to sleep and I get back from the bathroom after brushing my teeth and I'm like in a daze. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I need a pen. Yeah. I, I need a pen right now because I, I have my journal right there. We're all yeah. right down the next idea. He's like, okay. <laughs> I always have a pen close by and a notebook. I carry a notebook with me usually everywhere I go if I don't feel like doing the technology thing. So I have anything available to make sure I don't lose a good idea. So, I mean, does that mean I do have a giant list of terrible ideas, but I still keep them in there because there may be something in it that I find that will spur a different idea later on. Absolutely. Is there any routine in your day? I know you have your calendar. Yeah. What is your routine? I've had a morning routine for years. You know, I wake up pretty early. I mean, I did about six months of waking up at 4.30. That was a little too much for me. But I wake up pretty early. The first thing I do is meditate every day for 10 minutes using Headspace. And then I usually get right to writing. I used to journal, but I took a break from journaling because I was journaling a lot when I was doing another business and it was really helpful. But when I started writing, I found that journaling was I was using up my creative energy too early. So I pretty much get right to it. I'll either, you know, drink a morning smoothie, like brain smoothie type of thing, and then get to work. Sometimes I'll exercise early, but I used to follow like the exact same routine every day. And now it's kind of just like the only things I need to do every day are exercise, meditate, and write. (laughs) That's it. So wherever they fall in in with other things, like I do a lot of like online type classes, like I like master class, I just like to learn stuff. It's part of the polymath thing. So I did the the last master class I finished was the Aaron Sorkin one on screenwriting. And then I'm in the middle of a Judd Apatow one. And I'm in the middle of a Malcolm Gladwell one. So those things I slot out on my schedule as time to do. And I usually there's always time for reading. It used to be early in the morning when I woke up early, I'd read for an hour. But now it's kind of just, you know, whenever the day kind of leaves the time where I feel like reading. I read like between six and 10 books at a time. I just wrote something about that. People think that's really weird. But I think a lot of people, when you only have one book to read, you will just avoid it when you don't feel like reading it. But if you have five options and you say, I'm going to sit down to read, there's always one that you can choose that will work. Oh my gosh, Jonathan, thank you. You just gave me clarity because I was trying to tell myself that I needed to read one book at a time and I had five going and I still (laughs) probably do, but I was making myself work on one book just to get it done. And that's the same thing. I opened it last night. I want to enjoy it. Yeah. I love the book. Don't get me wrong. And I want to finish it, but I read two words last night and I was like, oh, I really don't feel like this. What I wrote was called Why and How I Read Six Books at the Same Time. But it also, if I include Audible, it's like 10 because I listen to books in the car every time I'm driving or podcasts. So it just gives me like if I only have one book, there's just going to be times where I don't feel like reading fiction or I don't feel like reading self-help or I don't feel like reading this part. So for me, I spread it out. I usually reading a couple fiction, couple self-help, motivation, work-life balance type things, and then a couple writing books and it just gives me the options to not ever get bored. You know, I think if we only have one option, we'll just find something else to do. You know, I'll go rearrange something because I don't feel like reading it or I'll read, but I won't really be there. And that's mm-hmm. what I used to do when I used to read one book. I would be reading and I'd read seven pages and I would have been thinking the whole time. I'm like, I really don't have any idea what I just read. None. Right. I couldn't recite it. So now I read and the issue that people bring up with me is, oh, I can't remember if I'm reading so many books. So I use an index card and I write in my own words 
uh, like one sentence as to what just happened and I'll read one page back. But I find that if I'm reading my own words about what I read before, it's much easier for me to catch back up to the story. Like if I haven't read it in, in a week or, you know, 10 days, you can catch right back up by reading what your own words say instead of just looking at the pages in the book. Oh, absolutely. Books are definitely the perk. I have to say one of the biggest perks and talking to every single guest because I've swear I'm getting personal coaching without paying <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars for it, right, on the podcast. That's why podcasts are so amazing. If you listen to podcasts a lot, you will end up your day knowing so many more things. I do it every, I mean, I listen to, I don't know, 50 podcasts at least, but it's just pure knowledge. And it's great when you're the host, you get to, you know, drill down on the things that you feel are, are pertinent to your audience and that, and that are going to make sense. It's a great way to get information into your brain podcasts, especially for the car and commute mm -hmm. to best places to have it. Yeah, that would be a perk of moving somewhere else, having more time in the car to listen to stuff. Because in my small town in Ohio, I drive three minutes to daycare. Yeah, I literally go nowhere. I work from home, you know, obviously now it's summer, but I drive my daughter to school and back. My son walks. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have as much time, but there are plenty of times where, you know, when my daughter does a dancer and she dances all over the place. So I enjoy those times when I have to drive for uh -huh. competition because I know I'll be able to get through four or five podcasts, you know, and podcasts I do while exercising or, you know, sometimes late at night or early in the morning, I'll just put those on. What happens, maybe this doesn't happen to you, but is there ever a morning when you get up because something just tells you to get up, but you feel like going back to bed? Well, no, not anymore. It used to be like that, but something similar for me, I've pretty much written about any feeling that I have because it's how I get everything out. But there's mornings where I wake up and I just kind of, I call it, I don't want to do life today. You know, I just like, I'd rather just watch TV all day. You know, I don't like particularly staying in bed. So that's not it for me. I'd rather be on the couch. But yeah, there's certainly days where I wake up and I don't feel as motivated as other days. But I think for me, because I've gone through standardized employment and I'm out of it, it's much easier for me. Like I really shouldn't have any complaints. I can wake up and do whatever I want. You know, if I want to watch Netflix, I just watch it, you know, because I think that I'm balancing my schedule. I usually write at least four hours a day, but I don't write for eight hours a day because I'll get burnt out. So I have to balance my schedule with other things. And I've been working on screenplays. So I, you know, I can tell myself like, you need to watch these shows and movies, which is both fun and true. But yeah, there's certainly days where I don't feel at my best, but it used to happen much more when I wasn't as consistent with the routines that I do. If I'm meditating and exercising every day, I will always get up and feel generally okay. Mm -hmm. How motivated I am to do certain things is always going to be depending on the day. But I mean, just for this month, I haven't written less than, I don't know, like 1,250 words on any day. So I track every day that I exercise, I track everything. So I know if I'm doing those things, at least I'm hedging my bets in the right direction to not get into that. And when I didn't do that and I kind of just was like, you know, I missed the gym a bunch of days and wouldn't read, you know, those are the more type the days where I'd get up and just not feel like doing anything. That's so interesting. I've seen that in habit tracking. You know, how do you feel on this day after you've hit these habits and how do you feel when you have it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this morning was actually one of the very rare mornings. It's like once a year, maybe twice a year, where 
every morning my husband will take the littles to daycare and I will jump right into work after they're out the door. But this morning I was like, oh, I just want to go back to bed. So I did. I climbed back into bed and he came back quickly to grab his stuff before he left for work. He's like, are you okay? Because that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> Like, yeah. I mean, part of having the ability to do stuff is that it's all okay. You know, like if there's no boss saying you can't do it, then doing it is okay because it will just make things work better later. One thing I stopped doing was trying to make myself feel bad for things that I do. And I've never been someone who really like makes terrible choices maybe in some things, but not like disastrous, like things that are going to ruin my life type things. So if I don't want to do so, what I do is like a lot of people will cancel a lot of things that I'm doing in my personal life because I never feel like doing it when the time comes up. And a lot of people, you know, will feel bad when they do that. And I don't (laughs) because I just I don't want to do it. I don't do that much stuff. And it's not because I'm a hermit. I enjoy solitude right now because I'm in this creative phase. I just have figured out I require a lot of time by myself and sometimes just putting something on the schedule like that's what would give me closer to anxiety than just doing what, you know, what I need to do for that day. Oh, I have no problem saying I'm a hermit at all. Yeah, I mean, I think if you tracked where I am, I would clearly fit the definition of hermit because I don't do very much, but I work a lot. I'm just working at home. When I can remember, I love to order the groceries online and just go through the drive-thru to pick them up, right? Mine get delivered to the house. I don't do anything that wastes my time. And it's just that supermarket shopping, one, I don't like crowds. Does it irritate the heck out of you? Like it does? Yeah, I can't handle it. I'll buy more stuff than I need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go in when you're hungry and you get worse stuff. So I just have the same order pretty much set up. I live in a state where Fresh Direct delivers. I do it every week. You know, I make sure my kids have what they want and I have what I want. And I find that I end up wasting a lot less food that way because there's no like, oh, that looks good. I'll try that. And I don't want to spend an hour in the supermarket. I mean, everything I do, I order off Amazon Prime. I haven't gone shopping in I don't know how many years because I just there's no reason to. I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. (laughs) So I'd rather just get stuff. And if I have to return it, you know, I will. But I've minimized loss of time in my life at this point now better than I ever have. I don't waste really any time. And that even go, I was just writing something, but I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, there's just a lot of things that you do in the traditional workplace that just waste your entire day, including idle chit chat. And it's not that I don't like my other, you know, colleagues, I enjoyed having that when I was there. But it's like, I like we all knew, like, we're going to close the door to our office, we're going to get the work done. And I never wanted to be just kind of like, you know, standing around chit chatting the whole day, because it's just a terrible use of my time. I'd rather leave early. I'd rather do everything I could. You know, if you've read a four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, I mean, there's ways to get out of office jobs by being more productive. So I don't want to be at work for X amount of time chit-chatting when I could use that time later to be with my family. So Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And going back to what you said, I mean, I don't feel guilty anymore about going and taking a cat nap in the middle of the afternoon because I know that when I get back up, I'm going to feel so refreshed. And I'm only talking about 20 minutes here. I'll Now that we're on summer break with the kids, I'll say, give me up in 20 minutes or I'll set a timer on my phone and I'll be back up. Everyone would benefit from it. It's just that most people don't think that they can. But I mean, if you look at the way the majority of people spend their time at, you know, 
quote work. It's one hour to one and a half hour lunch breaks for some people. And the average person surfs the internet between three and four hours a day at work. So if you're just doing the job, you could probably convince your employer that you could leave early if you were doing all your things and spend more time with your family or start working on a side project that you're really interested. You know, the quote side hustle is so, you know, interesting to people these days because, you know, it's true. A lot of people have other interests and you can't just walk away from your job. You need to make money. Mm -hmm. But if you're prioritizing the way you turn your day efficiency wise, there's plenty of time to do other stuff besides what goes on now, which is a lot of us, myself included, just waste a lot of time. It just happens that now I waste much less time than I used to. I remember being at work, you know, just surfing the internet. (laughs) Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. Just like, well, somebody's paying me to surf the internet all day. It's just that those type of things, the more that I read about, you know, not necessarily like digital nomad living, but just outside of the workplace productivity, everybody is more productive outside of that for the most part, because they can call their own shots. And if they weren't, they wouldn't stay employed. But plenty of people have, you know, tried that and said, oh, well, let me see, you know, working from home on a Friday, you get everything done early. And then you have the whole rest of the day. But when you're at work, you kind of know that you're stuck there from nine to five. So you goof off most of the day and barely get any of the stuff done. Oh, yeah. And working for myself, I find that I do so much and so little time that, yeah, I just need that break, which is where the nap comes in. And then I come back and I do so much more. But I'm, I'm not online scrolling because I realize that's not helping me reach my heart goals. Or if I am, it's research for something bigger. I love how you said, you know, you'll watch this show or this movie because you're doing screenwriting. I was getting a little bit annoyed with my husband for a little bit because he was playing video games and he was telling me it was research. But it didn't occur to me, he's a video game developer. Of course it's research. It's not just like he gets inspiration from everywhere. It's also like, I think that growing up, I was a latchkey kid in Brooklyn. I just walked home. I was home by myself. So I watched a ton of TV growing up. And then there became this kind of like overwave of like, you know, watching TV is terrible. And like, for me, I I don't interpret it to be anything more than it is. But that's something that gives me some entertainment value. But I don't sit around and watch TV all day. But I've watched a lot of shows, but I watch them efficiently. I know when my time breaks are and I'll I'll watch the shows in there because, you know, my kids and I will watch some shows together. It's just a different way. I mean, if I were not getting stuff done, you know, and my son plays a lot of video games, we'll play some games together. And it's just, a, you know, video games now, they involve, as for what they are, they involve deep storytelling. A lot of them are just like watching a movie. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy some of the games I see. So I think the traditional things that I used to think that I was going to feel as a parent, I don't really feel anymore. Kids these days are in a different spot than we were when we were younger. You know, if I had the technology that my kids had, I would have left my room a lot less than I did. And I was still in my room all the time. So if my kids are in their room when they're chatting with their friends, at least they're being social. Right. These days with technology, the the kids get a extremely bad rap on how much they use it. Because if you look at their parents, we're all using it just as much, if not more. So Mm -hmm. I know where they get it from. It's the adults. It's not, they're not learning anything on their own. Their parents are making them, you know, pose from the time they're babies for pictures on Instagram. But then they're, you know, wondering why their kids on Instagram when they're eight, because there's a lot of stuff to look at, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they go to YouTube first to find anything. Yeah, but the funny thing, like, yeah, sure, there's a lot of bad 
junk on YouTube. But if you want to know how to do anything, fix anything in your house, and you go on YouTube, you, go to you YouTube, can fix you it. You can find it. I mean, me, I'm not very handy, but I can follow. As long as someone shows me what to do, I'll follow it and I'll do it right. So there's a plus in everything. I've been yeah. very anti-technology for the last year, trying to kind of take down the amount of things. I, I deleted Facebook, deleted Pinterest, deleted House, deleted a lot of sites. And I'm just trying to get it down to the minimum that I need, but I'm not passing on the benefits of what they can bring me. It's just about where the benefit and detriment kind of meet and, and which one's going to be better for me. Absolutely. This is an incredibly nosy question, so I apologize for yeah, asking no in advance. But having been a prosecutor and defense attorney and then gone into real estate, I am curious, how do you pay the bills now then? I was in the art world for six years uh, in between. So my entire life, I've been investing in real estate. My dad taught me when I was, he, I used to go on ride-alongs when I was five years old with him in the car. So my sister and I manage a portfolio of real estate properties we have our whole life. And um, that's always provided a second stream of income for me. And it's just something that my dad kind of, my dad was an attorney. He learned how to do it. He learned how to find houses. He learned how to rehab houses. And he passed that along to me. And, you know, now we do that. So now we, we have a lot of, it's just a, I think a passive income is what people love to call it, but it's not that passive. You know, when you're a landlord and when you're managing properties in different states, we have properties in three or four or five different states, it's a daily upkeep. And she does a lot of that. And we share different duties depending on what we do. And I'm 47. I've worked for a long time. So I've been careful with what I've done and made my money work to make money over the years and not overspent. And, you know, now I'm just fortunate enough to really, I don't have to go get a standardized job. I don't need the writing to make money for me right at the second, but I'm always watching what everything's doing to make sure that my family will be taken care of if I were not to be here. Thank you for so authentically and transparently answering the question. I know I can be so incredibly nosy sometimes. No, it's not a problem. There was a time when I stopped standardized employment about six years ago and I, I was writing, I was writing screenplays and I used to get the question a lot. And then when I'd answered it, it was always like, oh, well, you know, there's always want something more behind the curtain. But there's just because not. I've, no, I learned about it. I wasn't handed some system and pile that worked. Yeah, my dad worked really hard, but my dad came from nothing and he did really well in finding properties and flipping properties and he taught it to me and he, like me, did everything in his possible power in his life to make sure that his kids would be okay when he left and he died when I was 33 and you know my sister and I have been managing things that he set up but he started teaching us how to manage them when we were kids. You know, my dad's the type of person who gave me a small account to play with stocks when I was like 15 because he just wanted to give me the opportunity to see what worked. And by being so free and letting me try things and, you know, obviously small amounts of money, but I was taught that like, this is real, like you can lose this, you can gain this, but if you're smart, this is how your whole life can develop. And there were years that I fought back against it because no one wants to take advice from their parent <laughs> ever. But as I got older and after he passed away, my sister and I both, like we realized all the things that he taught us by just being a good person. And that has translated to business and that's what makes it okay for me to run the schedule that I do and not feel bad or entitled about it. Cause I worked 80 hour week jobs yep. for a long time and that's just part of the road that I've taken. Yeah. 
I don't spend much time on social media anymore, but I've seen people griping on some of the mentors that I follow. You know, it's really easy to make a lot of money when you come from a lot of money. But the mentors that I follow didn't come from a lot of money. They had those 80-hour weeks. And we've all heard the stories of the people who came from, you know, businesses or properties or anything that was passed down from parents. And we've seen them crash it into the ground. And then they have nothing left. But they didn't have those skills to be able to make anything further from themselves. I just think that when people are talking about money and how people grew up, they miss a lot of things about it. Like I definitely grew up more fortunate than others, but nobody would have known it. Like my dad wore, you know, I don't know, like tennis shorts and, and like a tank top every day. But yeah, I grew up in that way, more fortunate, but I, I'm not like, you know, sailing on yachts and things. My dad was super cheap, but that's how I learned to do things. But what people also don't take into account that there's other things that go on in your life. So if people say, oh, like financially, you've had it better than some. Sure, I have. But my mom died when I was 20 and my dad died when I was 33. And I've had like 10 deaths in my family. So, you know, if that's the trade off, nobody's going to want that. Right. So I think it's always that, that, you know, and a lot of kids of parents who are always working and sure they have a lot of money, but their parents never even paid attention to them. I mean, so absolutely. There's something inside all of that. I don't judge anybody for how much or how little they have. I just judge them for how authentic they are. And if they're an authentic person, what they have has never mattered to me. Mm. I've gotten years with people not knowing anything about my finances and me never discussing it because it's just. Yeah. And I think that often the people who are least authentic will share fake finances. Oh, yeah. That's always a thing. I mean, I think, you know, the status anxiety is is a real thing. Everybody wants to be something and you're, you're always searching for authentic people. I have lots and lots of friends from throughout my life that just none of them happen to live near me right now for the most part. You know, we're texting or we're sending messages. But the longer you go on and the longer you try to have these kind of like partnerships and little business relationships, the more you find out that like you're going to miss the mark a lot because there's just people that aren't that truthful out there. So I'm going to hedge my bets on the people that I know well and I'm going to vet them by how authentic I can tell they are and I think most of us know by now, you can tell when somebody's not right away. And if you convince yourself otherwise, you'll be hurt later on because of that. So absolutely. And the people who judge us for buying generic tomato sauce instead of, you know, branded probably aren't the people we should be hanging out with anyway. Honestly, I think the generic tastes better. (laughs) I mean, it's just a matter of what people are focused on. And Uh really, all I'm worried about is if somebody is a good person trying to do something nice. You know, if I can help somebody, I'm willing to help them. But if they're asking me to help them because they want me to give them some extra benefit, then it's not a win win for me on that. Absolutely. Well, Jonathan, this has been an amazing chat. I want to thank you so much. I'm still troubled about whatever word that was that I was dreaming about last <laughs> you'll, night. You'll think of it right when we get I off. I will. Sure. But now I'm actually thinking about bringing all those six different books that I'm reading back out and just placing them all over and not feeling bad for reading six books. 
Yeah, so I always keep them in a stack and I bring them upstairs at night and I bring them downstairs in the morning because I always want them to be right there if the time, I mean, especially for you, if you're home, it's like sometimes you have 15 minutes. And what I said in the article is if 15 minutes isn't a lot, if you read in three 15 minute spurts during the day, morning, noon and night, you'd have 45 minutes of reading done at the end of the day. And that's such an astronomical amount to, for a year if you read 45 minutes a day. And that is not at all hard to do. It's like if you did 15 minutes on a lunch break for somebody at work, 15 minutes before bed, 15 minutes when you wake up, you'll put so much more knowledge in your head. And I think that I've learned so much from reading when I didn't read that much when I was younger. I went from reading, you know, two or three books a year. And in 2017, I read 75 books because I want to learn things and I want to be in fictional worlds. And I I like words. I like what people have to say. And I learned a ton, you know, especially on productivity, efficiency from reading books. And I think sometimes people feel like when you're reading like a book by like a, you know, an inspirational guru or a productivity expert that you have to follow everything, but it's, it's not, I read everything. I take it into account and I still do what I want, but I take a lot of advice from a lot of different people. And then I see if it works and if it doesn't work, I scrap it and try something else. Yeah no harm done. So often the different authors, like their stuff will mesh together and I'll come up with my own solution. Yeah. This is totally TMI. I'm sorry, but I will lock myself in the bathroom whether or not I'm using it because that's the only time I can actually sometimes get time to myself. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of kids. Yep. <laughs> and I have two books like in the bathroom drawer. Yeah. Again, I might not even be using the bathroom, but I will lock myself in there and just sit on the edge of the tub and read. Yeah. But the way that I got to the 75 books as I was waking up early. I was waking mm. up at 4.30 or 5. But I'm telling you, by doing that and spending an hour in complete silence reading whatever I wanted every day, I was starting each day. Yeah, I woke up a little early and I was falling asleep at like 8 o'clock. But I was putting just so much knowledge into my head and now I, I can't stop. Oh, I love it. Jonathan, where can listeners find you online, connect and get to know more about you? Yeah, well, I am trying to get rid of most of my social, but you can find me on Twitter at Trust Green, and Green has an E at the end, and I'm pretty active there. And then everything that I write and where I spend all my time right now is on Medium. So it's Medium, just like, you know, small, medium, large, medium.com, and then slash the at symbol, and then Jonathan Green. Awesome. Listeners, there will be links in the show notes, which again, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP456. Jonathan, thank you so much again for joining me today. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I do. And thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. My parting nugget is from my dad. He taught me so much about everything about life, but he always used to tell me when we were in the car, don't rush life. And at the time he was saying it because I'd miss a turn and I'd be like, oh, I can't believe I missed that or I'd want to swerve and do the turn. But as I got older, I started to realize the significance of all of that. I don't want to rush through any part of my life. I don't think anybody should because we're all rushing through everything, working too fast, you know, always worrying about what's going to happen. We're missing the things that are right in front of us. And, you know, for me, that's my kids and family. And I've slowed everything down. And that's always the priority at the top of the list. And nothing else is even close. So the rest of the stuff is just things to get us somewhere, you know, get us paid. But Nothing will repay that time if you're rushing through life, you know, and you get to the end and you forget that you missed all this time that you could have had, you know, with your family or, or loved ones along the way. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. 
When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.